Will you pray with me? May God be with us in our doing, in our walking and talking, in our journey and in our being. Amen. This story that happens along the, the road to Emmaus is one here, so I'll apologize already. <laughs> I especially love this story because Luis and I um, used this passage in our wedding. Um, our pastor, Laura, preached about how we reveal ourselves to each other over time and continue together along the journey. For me, this story also speaks into the great mix of despair and hope that make up our lives today in this 20, crazy 21st century, century world. Let's jump in and see what we can find. Here we are on the road with two of Jesus' followers walking seven miles to Emmaus from Jerusalem. The story tells us that this is on the same day. Seems like something important must have happened already on this day in Jerusalem. If we look back in the text, we find this is the day of the resurrection. This story is happening on Easter day. The women had gone to the tomb in the morning and found it empty. Some mysteriously dazzling men, maybe angels, told them that Jesus was risen. But when these women excitedly reported this to Jesus' apostles, they didn't quite believe it, thinking it was an idle tale, except Peter, who went to check for himself. These two followers are leaving Jerusalem, talking, processing, discussing what had just happened. Now, I would agree that walking and talking is a great way to work through something difficult, to process the stress of, and intensity of what just happened, as well as talking with a trusted friend. Great practical advice right from the Bible. We find that one of these people is named Cleopas, and the other, the unnamed one? Well, it turns out that many think the most reasonable person this could be is Mary, the spouse of Cleopas, and they are the parents of the disciple James. This is the same Mary who was one of the women who discovered the empty tomb and spoke with the angels. So Cleopas and Mary, the parents of James, are walking along. I imagine them talking and weeping. The story says they are sad. They have just experienced something immensely difficult and confusing. Their beloved leader, Jesus had been captured and sentenced to a traumatic, torturous, and public death. They had been there watching, taking in the horrors of what the system was capable of, wishing they could do something but feeling powerless to change anything, just hoping to survive this uh, horrible turn of events themselves. And not only had they witnessed great violence, but the hopes that they had for change and renewal were completely destroyed. Their imagined future was gone. In the story, Cleopas says, we had hoped that Jesus was the one to set our people free. We had hoped. This phrase tells of their loss. They had hoped for liberation, 
for something that would save them from the incredible violence of the Roman Empire, for someone to show them a new way forward for great change. We had hoped. And that hope for the future was dashed, destroyed by the violence of human fear and empire. Not only did they witness the violent death of their friend, but all their hopes and dreams for the future were destroyed. And just today, they experience the shock of the empty tomb and don't yet know what to believe. Jesus joins them on this journey and things begin to change. As we move through life today, this feels so real. In experiences of violence, death, or loss, our imagined futures are torn away from us. We are left grieving and stumbling to find a way forward. One of the lenses that has been helpful for me in making sense of difficult experiences is that of trauma studies. I first encountered the, the, the idea of trauma in the mid-2000s when I attended Eastern Mennonite University, although it didn't make much sense to me then. At that time, in response to the events of 9-11, EMU's Center for Justice and Peacebuilding had been developing and running STAR trainings. STAR stands for Strategies for Trauma Awareness and Resilience. Even though I took classes in conflict transformation, the whole trauma thing didn't seem very interesting to me. I wasn't sure why it was so important. Hard things happen, and we keep going. We get, we get over it, right? I can laugh at this now, but that's the sort of cultural mind frame I grew up with. But over time, I began to understand the relevance of trauma studies to all kinds of situations. In the 2010s, when I worked as a flute teacher and performer in Oklahoma City, I learned the ways that trauma can impact children's learning. Children who have experienced traumatic events can have radically different capacities to learn and need different kinds of care to become resilient learners. And the thing that really drove home the concepts of trauma studies for me was an on-being podcast interview with the psychiatrist and trauma researcher named Bessel van der Kolk. Bessel grew up in post-war Holland. His father had spent time in Nazi concentration camp, and the difficulties he saw in his family and com community spurred him into medicine and psychiatry. Since the 1970s, Bessel has been on the, co the cutting edge of trauma research, and his uh, 2014 book, The Body Keeps the Score, has spent over 200 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. His main points, that trauma lodges itself in our bodies in very physical ways. And among the three main modes of trauma healing, sometimes physical activities that help establish bodily feelings of safety, like yoga, can be just as effective as talk therapy and medicine. These three methods are especially effective in combination. Today, the field of trauma studies is wide-reaching and filters into almost every discipline. We also know that there are various forms of trauma. Collective trauma can happen when a whole population or group experiences something horrible together. Trauma can also be transmitted through family lines and generations. It can be the impact of many smaller experiences that build up over time. 
In the racial justice world, I have read about the constant trauma of experiencing this white supremacist world in a black body. Additionally, many have seen our pandemic experiences as potential collective trauma because of the amount of the, ex the amount of extended and intense stress and powerlessness we experienced. And then of course, trauma studies showed up in many of my seminary classes in different ways. Trauma-informed preaching, pastoral care, trauma in the Bible, and many more. So that's all to say that trauma studies is a major lens that I carry now and will likely have threads in all the ways that I work to make meaning. While I don't have time to give a full definition of trauma and its effects, I think a brief explanation could be this. It is the experience of an event that is so horrible that it goes beyond the ability of a person to cope and make sense. And then the impact of this event lingers on in the memory, body, life, and life of the person who experienced it. This can apply to both survivors of violent events or those who witnessed the event. The word trauma can refer to the event itself, the way a person experienced it, and the lingering impacts. We can see signs of this all over the Bible and also in our lives. Like the story of Cleopas and Mary finally discovering Jesus, trauma healing is not always a direct road from hurt to healing. We can be on different places of this journey and we can hold diverse feelings at the same time. As one theorist writes, we don't journey from the normal to the bizarre and back to the normal again. Our journey to normalcy is so permeated by the bizarre encounter with atrocity that it can never be purified again. The two worlds haunt each other. This scripture offers us no less. The way forward is not through forgetting what happened on the cross or through escaping into comedy or commodity. The way, happen, the way forward happens with a renewed imagination, a new story that holds together both the, trauma, both the tragedy and reality of the world's violence, alongside the hope and expectation of all humanity regenerated. A faith haunted by despair, yet steeped in hope. This all feels incredibly relevant to how I have experienced these last several years of the pandemic, albeit in less extremely violent ways. I think the lessons of scripture and trauma studies can inform all sorts of times of crisis and change. In some ways, everything felt fine for me during the pandemic. Life went on with adjustments. Like Mary and Cleopas, I continued to walk forward, move to the next thing. In other ways, the pandemic was incredibly hard. Many things I had hoped for did not pan out. The pandemic made in-person social relationships difficult and fraught with boundaries and choices. Who was in any given COVID pod and how careful did anyone need to be with those outside the pod? I experienced major conflicts and losses of friendships, of ritual milestones, of time with family members. 
Amid all these changes, I experienced great stress that persisted over long periods of time and felt like I was powerless to change many things. When I connected digitally with fellow seminary students, I heard them use language that is very much associated with trauma. Disoriented, disconnected, powerless, overwhelmed, confused, and more. Like these Jesus followers on the road, I also experienced during this time joy revealed in many different ways. Luis and I continued to fall in love, love despite our COVID circumstances, and had beautiful moments of getting to know each other. I also found great hope and joy in my seminary learning, both through classes and friendships with other students and professors. Many things were so good. In the same way that I imagine Cleopas and Mary filled with such intense grief and confusion, yet joy at finally encountering the living Christ, this pandemic has been one that is full of intense and mixed emotions. When my small group met a couple years ago, one of the members brought a quote from Julian of Norwich to us. Julian also lived in a time of pandemic. She was a Benedictine nun in the 14th century England when the bubonic plague ravaged the world. She wrote, the first good thing is the goodness of nature. God is the same thing as nature. The goodness in nature is God. God feels great delight to be our father. God feels great delight to be our mother. We experience a wondrous mix of well and woe. The mingling of both well and distress in us is so astonishing that we can hardly tell which state we or our neighbor are in. That's how astonishing it is. For me, these last several years of the pandemic have been such an intense mixture of well and woe. Many things have been beautiful and hard. Grief was mixed in with revelations of joy and hope. And one of the most important things I have learned in my seminary and life journey is that it's perfectly okay to have all these kinds of opposing emotions at the same time. We don't need to cover over our sadness by pretending to be happy or by distracting ourselves with constant entertainment. In other words, the children's movie Inside Out has quite a few good points. Sometimes the best thing to do is have a good wholehearted cry. With the grounding of our mother, father, God, who is all the goodness of nature, we can experience our grief because joy will be revealed all around us. Your experience of the, of the pandemic are likely different than mine because our lives and contexts are different. I've heard so many stories. One of my professors felt like the pandemic offered the chance to slow down and really enjoy life. Most of the people I know with young children barely survived navigating full-time work from home with the added need to also be their ch children's full-time teacher, parent, and childcare. A few friends moved to new jobs and new cities at the beginning of the pandemic and were completely unable to develop in-person social support networks for years. Maybe one of these stories was your case. 
The worst experiences were those facing multiple intense layers of stress, including loss of work, death of loved ones, family changes, societal racism, mental and physical health challenges, and many more. I have heard many speaking of the traumatic effects of the pandemic, but we are still so close to it that our attempts to make meaning about what we experienced, both in scientific and philosophical terms, are not yet fully formed. The theologian Serene Jones wrote a whole book on trauma and theology. She writes, the church is called as it exists in this space of trauma to engage in the crucial task of reordering the collective imagination of its people and to be wise and passionate in this task. As people of faith, the church enables us to be storytellers, weavers, artists, poets, and visionaries who take the repetitive violence of the world and reframe it in the context of faith. We are called to help write the scripts of the Christian imagination as it seeks to bring order to this disorder, and we must do so in a manner that seeks the flourishing of all people. In a manner that seeks the flourishing of all people. That is our task. We are called to hold together the well and woe of this world, to be fully present to the grief and joy of this journey, to bear witness to each other and those at the margins, to begin changing and reframing the story, to hold before us the radical hope of the risen Christ. The Bible includes many stories of traumatic occurrences, and this Emmaus story has clear elements of trauma. Many have seen Jesus' crucifixion as one of the biggest traumatic stories in the Bible. Crucifixion was a torturous execution that was meant to invoke horror, shame, and fear in the general public. Black theologians liken the crucifixion to the various forms of violence and trauma that black Americans have faced through history and today. Mary and Cleopas were witnesses to the terror of Jesus' crucifixion. Walking along this road to Emmaus, they are despe desperately trying to process what had happened. Perhaps they felt confused and disoriented. Just grasping at what words could make sense out of nonsense. Maybe they wept along the road, grieving the loss of their friend, burying in their bodies the horror of the crucifixion. Maybe they told the story over and over, desperately wishing for a different ending, unintentionally reenacting the event, as trauma survivors often do. When Jesus approaches them, they are still stuck in a story where violence wins and blots out all hope in the world. Yet Jesus comes alongside them and listens. They are so disoriented they don't even recognize him. The text says they are still and sad. He walks with them through their frozenness and stupor, their anxious words and hopes destroyed. 
Jesus hears their shock at the empty tomb and confusion. In the middle of their pain, Jesus is there even when they don't realize it. And Jesus bears witness to their story. But the story doesn't stop at the trauma of the cross and its impacts. Jesus begins to speak into their narrative. And as a side note, his words that he says, oh, how foolish you are and slow of heart, probably not my starting point with a trauma survivor, but <laughs> we don't know all the cultural context there. But I'm pretty sure the resurrected Jesus could make any approach work. The passage gets the point across for us. Jesus is reframing the story. Jesus steps into that, the playback loop that holds their imagination, and he speaks. Jesus brings hope and meaning back into the picture. But Cleopas and Mary don't recognize Jesus yet. It is only in the moment of breaking bread together that Jesus' identity is revealed to them. In this gathering for a meal, the ritual, and the physicality of eating together, their memories come full circle and they recognize Jesus. It is in this space of physical safety, eating together, that their imaginations and stories can be transformed. They are now joyful and energized, speaking of how their hearts were burning. We see them excitedly go to share their story with others. There is grief and joy all mixed up in this Emmaus story. Well and woe jumbled together as they seek to find a way forward. Just following this story, when they have met with the other disciples, they are startled and again doubtful when the risen Christ shows up. Little by little, they will move toward wholeness and tell this new story of hope beyond terror. Recognition comes in waves. Belief and horror stand together. Jesus tells them, peace be with you.